So this morning's scripture passage is John 1, 1 to 14. Whenever I'm called to or asked to read scripture, I get a little nervous because you just never know the names and the places and all of that stuff the, uh, that can be very difficult. And I saw John 1 to, 1 to 14, and i like, thank you, Doug. I appreciate that. I mean, this is one of the most beautiful, eloquent, eloquent, just awesome passages in the whole Bible. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to, to hear um, what Doug has to say about this. John 1, 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. There was a man sent from John, from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But Hall, but, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, and the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Well, Wes just increased the expectations a whole lot right now, didn't he? Um, yeah, may God speak to us. Um, how many of you have watched any of the episodes of the uh, the, the Chosen? Okay, uh, the Chosen is a donation-funded TV series from Angel Studios about Jesus and his ministry. Uh, it's just come out in the last couple of years. And they have seven seasons planned for telling the full story of Jesus and his ministry. Um, it's not on network television at all. Seasons one and two are currently available online, free, for streaming. Season three is coming out, release plan is uh, in November. And personalities, uh, the different characters, they, they've been done with great care, truthfulness to scripture, accuracy. Um, there's, there's some freedom to provide you know, some things that go beyond some of what the Bible is for some of those personalities. But they're done with great 
care of truth. Um, Dawn and I finished watching season one about a week ago and finally had a chance to watch the first episode of season two this past Thursday. And so, so spoiler alert, but not, not too much. I'm not revealing a ton of things, and, and I'd recommend watching some of this. It, it gives different thoughts of reality to how Christ lived and interacted. But, but the episode I'm referring to opens with... Uh, the view from behind somebody who's interviewing disciples of Jesus. Um, also, Jesus' mother, Mary. And you're, we're not sure who this person is, but it's an interview process. And eventually we recognize that it's a, the Apostle John who's doing the interviewing. Gathering information, gathering stories of, of the other disciples as he contemplates writing his gospel. And so some of the questions, what stories does he include? What is his theme? What is his focus? And the timing, um, Matthew is a character in, in, the, in the episodes. And so Matthew's already been jotting down notes. He's going to be writing his story. Um, and actually, looking back at time, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written before John was written. But the question that John's contemplating is, what, what do I write about? Now, e each of the four Gospels emphasize different origins of Jesus. Matthew uh, emphasizes Jesus coming from a lineage of Abraham and David. You know, the whole first chapter is that whole lineage. And it's demonstrating that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. So that was Matthew's. Uh, for Mark, uh, Jesus came from Nazareth, and so a, a big part of Mark is demonstrating Jesus as a servant. For Luke, Jesus came from Adam, the son of man, demonstrating Jesus is the perfect man. And for John, as Wes read, Jesus came from heaven demonstrating that Jesus is God. So, so John is different from the other three Gospels. Uh, John himself was part of the inner circle with Jesus, would have been in conversation with Jesus, privy to a few comments and thoughts that Jesus may have shared with that inner circle. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke would not have necessarily been privy to that same commentary. John was the disciple that Jesus loved. Jesus, remember on the cross, gave John the responsibility of caring for his mother. And actually in, in the episode that we watched on The Chosen, John refers to the mother of Jesus as mother. Um, it's that interaction, personal connection. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke were the synoptic, synoptic gospels, very similar to each other, telling the story of what Jesus did what he taught, but John's gospel focuses more on who Jesus is. Less about facts, more about the inner being, the core of Jesus' presence, who Jesus is. Uh, some, some important factual events that John actually leaves for others to tell include Jesus' birth, Jesus' baptism, 
Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Uh, parables are not really seen in John. There's references and thoughts, but not really written as parables. Uh, the agony of Christ in Gethsemane is not part of John. Um, actually, if you take a look, John 13 contains the conversation from the Last Supper. And then chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 are basically all read. The words and teaching of Jesus. And then chapter 18 is Jesus being arrested in the garden. So that there's different focus that John has. If we go to the end of John, uh, chapter 20, verse 31, we read why John wrote his gospel. He says this, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, by believing you may have life in his name. That's why John wrote his gospel. And he ends his gospel at the very end, uh, 21, 25, he says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So John was writing his book so the world would believe in the one true and holy God, Jesus Christ, and have eternal life. Now, the, the past three weeks, our, our sermon series is focused on Isaiah, uh, referring to the promise of redemption, promise of restoration, promise of deliverance. And those promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is where those promises come true. So, so this month of July, we've got five weeks. So our sermon series is actually going to be referring to and looking at the word. Just that simple phrase, the word. What, what does the word mean? How does the word live out in the Gospel of John? And, and John leaves no doubt in chapter 1 who the word refers to. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The, the word is clearly referring to Jesus Christ. Now, there, there's different nicknames that sports figures can have. Allen Iverson, Hall of Fame basketball player, 14 seasons in the NBA, mostly with the Philadelphia 76ers. His nickname was The Answer. Paul Pierce, another NBA player, NBA uh, Hall of Fame player, played 19 years mostly with Boston Celtics. His nickname was The Truth. And, and so for both of those, you know, they were the final statement. When their team needed a crucial basket, they were the answer. They were the truth. That's where the team would go. You know, so, so fun accolades and ways to, to recognize good, really good basketball players. But definitely not the same meaning as John's words. The word. So last week in Wes's sermon, he referred to Moses' question to God when, when he was wondering, okay, so when I go to the children of Israel to lead them out of Egypt, who do I say sent me? And Wes referred to God's response as, I am who I am. So tell them, I am has sent you. So, I mean, very simple. I am the word. 
This, this is it. I am. Now, in, in John, the, the Greek word he used for the word is the word logos. And so Greek philosophers would have used the word logos referring to the identity for the reasoning, the thinking, the mind, and the wisdom of divine authority. So Greek individuals would have understood that word logos. Jews would have also understood the word logos to refer to the self-expression and interaction of a personal God. So, so both sets of readers would understand what God would be referring to. And, and I am is just very straightforward, simple, but it's complete. I am is reference to the final and true statement of all authority and righteousness. The full embodiment, full understanding, full meaning of God's glory. So logos, the word, really says and means it all. Now there's three parts I want to refer to within our scripture that we that Wes read here, referring to who Jesus was and is. So, so three parts here. Creator, flesh, and light. It'll be the three parts that I want to kind of pull out a little bit. So first of all, Jesus as creator. Now Genesis 1 refers to God creating the heavens and the earth. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there was no specific naming of Jesus in the Old Testament, but as Jesus states in John 10:30, Jesus makes this statement, I and the Father am one. And so in scripture, both God and the God the Father and Jesus the Son are both called shepherd. They're both called judge. They're both called savior. And in Zechariah 12:10 we read and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. So that reference, they will look on me, the one they have pierced, when Jesus' side was pierced on the cross, God's side was pierced. They were one. That was felt. That was understood. In 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Paul writes, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And then right after that, And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. They're the one. Jesus and God are one. Paul wrote this, this letter, uh, 1 Corinthians, 30 to 40 years before John wrote his gospel. So John had that firsthand connection. But Paul was writing the same things. In, in all three of these references, in, in Zechariah, in Corinthians, and in what we wrote here with, uh, read here with John, we read of the oneness of God, the Father, and Jesus Christ the Son, inseparable in manner, inseparable in nature, they are one. James Montgomery Boy, uh, Boyce, an American Christian theologian, wrote this, everything that can be said about God the Father can be said about God the Son. In Jesus dwells all the wisdom, the glory, the power, the love, 
holiness, the justice, the goodness, and the truth of the Father. In him, God the Father is known. So, so if we go back to John 1, what Wes read, if I go back to the first three verses, and if Jesus is the word, if I use Jesus in place of the word, here's the way that would read. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus all things were made. Without Jesus nothing was made that has been made. Jesus and the Father are one. In uh, one of the songs there was the line, he was here before, I can't remember the phrase right now, I'm drawing a blank. He was here before the earth was created or something like that. I mean, we sang that already. We always, always envisioned God was here since eternity. We don't always recognize Jesus was there too. Jesus and God are one. Jesus as creator. But then second, Jesus as flesh. Um, one, one thing I appreciate about the, the chosen is how they portray Jesus interacting as a human being with his disciples, with others, with grace and love. Um, there, there's one scene uh, in the first season where he interacts with a group of children and just has a smile on his face. Challenging yet caring words. Soft yet keen sense of humor. Enjoying life. Uh, there was a scene in Thursday's episode where Jesus had healed a man. And the man entered the synagogue where Jesus was teaching. And Jesus saw the man sit down. And he winked at him. And the man winked back. That's a personal interaction. Jesus was God. Jesus was flesh. He lived and walked with men and women just like us. He interacted. He saw lives change. He changed lives. And when those lives were changed, he enjoyed it. It was fun. It was meaningful. He was pleased to see another lost sheep come home. He did the things that are stated in the Bible. He visited the actual cities and the sites that are listed. Apostle John refers to John the Baptist in verses 6, and six through 8 as a witness to who Jesus was. In verse 14, John makes the acknowledgement, we have seen his glory. He dwelt among us. And so both the Apostle John, John the Baptist, are making claims of truth that they have seen and they know this truth. And Jewish law required witnesses, two. Required two witnesses. Here are two witnesses that are claiming Jesus Christ walked this earth and is holy God. Now this phrase, I, I, 
I ran across this. I thought this was kind of interesting. The, the phrase dwelt among us that is in verse 14 actually has some special meaning. It literally means dwelt in as a tent or a tabernacle among us. That, that's what the phrasing means. So in looking back at verse 14, if we would now read that with the word tabernacle, we say the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Now, when you think of the tabernacle, what do you think of? Old Testament, right? How special was the tabernacle of God? How was it treated? How was it cared for? So here, here's a bit of a list that I, I came across. The tabernacle of God was the center of Israel's camp. The tabernacle of God was the place where the law of Moses was preserved. The tabernacle of God was the dwelling place of God. It was a place of revelation. It was a place where sacrifices were made. It was the center of Israel's worship. So when God came to this world as Jesus and he dwelt among us, he came to this world and created a tabernacle for interaction with us, with his chosen people. And isn't that how God is wanting to dwell with us today? Personally, intimately, face-to-face, heart-to-heart. Now, the disciples had the opportunity to walk and talk directly with Jesus as a man on earth. And then they wrote the gospel as record to where he went, what he did. And if we're looking for records outside of the Bible to verify some of these things, they're there. Um, Four of them. Tacitus was a senator and a historian of the Roman Empire. The Babylonian Talmud is a central text of Judaism. Josephus was a first century Romano-Jewish scholar, historian, and writer. Pliny the Younger was a Roman governor in the first century. All of those refer to Jesus. Now, whether or not they believe in the truth of the resurrection, that's up to them, but they recorded this man named Jesus and some of the teachings and the claims that he made and that his disciples made that we fully believe. Jesus was a man that walked this earth. He was real. The suffering and the crucifixion and the death on the cross were real. The resurrection from the grave was real. Matthew 28 records how the Jewish leaders went to the guards and bribed them to lie. Well, they, they, they didn't have an explanation for it. They didn't understand nor believe the truth. The truth is Christ Jesus walked this earth, died on a cross, rose from the grave, and they can't refute that truth. So he came as a personal Savior and Lord. So Jesus as flesh. And finally, a third part, Jesus as light. How do we use light? I mean, the the sun is nice. It lights up the sky. But how do we use light? 
turning on a light switch in a room, we, we can illuminate the room, we can see the full area so we don't run into things. Turning on a light in a lampstand, we're allowed and able to see and read words on a page much more easily. A flashlight, we can see a one you know, specific area that may be helpful. A lantern might be something that we use outside to, to shine light. Again, we're, we're showing light. Car lights, brake lights, dash lights, you know, those you know, maybe some as warnings. A lighthouse to identify where a shoreline may be. Neon lights. Okay, there's signage. I mean, we're, we're drawing attention. But what light does is it gives clarity and an opportunity for knowledge and a direction. When a room is fully lit, nothing can hide. You see everything. And without light, everything would be dark. Now, growing up, we, we would play a game called Wolf Wolf, which was the actual reverse of hide and seek. When we would play Wolf Wolf, there would be one person, the wolf, who would go out and hide. And then everybody else, the sheep, would go out and try to find where the wolf is hiding, identify that way, you know, bring the wolf out, and then the wolf would try to tag people, tag the sheep, catch the sheep before they safely return to the fold. Okay, that's, that was what our, you know, one of our favorite games was. And we tried to play that a few times in the daytime. Yeah, no fun. <laughs> Not at all. Too much light. It was best to play at night. As a wolf, you could hide a whole lot better. Sometimes behind a, a small wagon or a, a pot that mom might have had sitting on the porch. Um, and depending on where you played, there might have been even a small indention in the lawn. And you could just lie flat. And if it's dark enough, you can hide there. That's one of the best spots because nobody anticipates you hiding just simply out in the open. But you could hide there because it was dark. Now, if a passing car would go by, you never liked that if you were the wolf. Because inevitably, all of a sudden, you would be revealed. Wolves don't like the light. But Jesus is that light that shines in the darkness. Hidden things become apparent and clear. And, and that's why all of this was planned. That's why God sent Jesus here to be a light for us. The creator Jesus came to earth as a man to show us truth, to be a light for the world, back then and today. All right, so two quick questions about this light and dark thing. When needed, how do you make rooms or areas lighter? You add more light, right? Increase the light. Uncover a light. How do you make a room or an area darker? Anybody thinking about increasing the darkness? No, you don't increase darkness. 
you remove the light or you cover up the light or you find your way walking away from the light remove yourself from the light then you can make it darker okay don't let that happen we're called to be in the light walking with the light in john in first john 2 Verses 8 through 11, John encourages us to walk in the light as a community. He said, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So by loving one another, believers shine light into the darkness that is our world. By speaking with truth. And that truth must also require an incredible amount of humility, joy, compassion, and love. Believers shine light into that darkness. Communicating with each other, communicating with, communicating with those outside of our community. And the light that we allow to shine through us is not of our own power and our own will. Our human nature, where where are we going to be? Well, I'm sorry, I can be egotistical. I can be proud. I can be self-seeking. I take care of me. That's our human nature. The light that we show is coming from a holy father and a forgiving son who created this world together, came to earth to walk with us, and showed us, by example, how to love one another in grace and truth. That was the very ending of what Wes read. Grace and truth. At the end of the episode that uh, Don and I watched of The Chosen, John is sitting in his, his room. And outside there's lightning flashing. There's thunder sounding. And they compare... John's words to the beginning of Genesis. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And I'm going to reread John 1.1-5 through 5. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's a claim of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The ultimate statement of truth 
and love. He's the word. Jesus Christ is the light. The ultimate example of how we are called to live out a holy life. He is it. So we're called to let him shine through us with all truth and grace.